they didn't even know what trafficking was, but she was part of a federal case. And they found Calder Freedom. We began navigating with that young lady, um, but also their family, um, because trauma happens to the entire unit. It's just not the individual, it is also the family. Welcome to Conversations That Matter. I'm your host, Alex Newman, here for The New American Magazine. Thank you for joining us today. We have a very special guest. Her name is Becky Rasmussen. Uh, She's the CEO and founder of a ministry uh, dealing with uh, human trafficking, trying to stop it, trying to combat it, trying to help uh, the victims. It's called Call to Freedom. You can find them at callthefreedom.org. She's also a supporting author to a book called The Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and healing their children. Uh, Becky, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's an honor to have you on the program. This is a, obviously a, a very difficult subject, but uh, talk to us about human trafficking. Is, is this a, a huge problem in the United States? What do people need to know about what's happening? Yeah. Um, so if you're not familiar with human trafficking, I think a lot of people have misconceptions of what human trafficking looks like today. Um, there's been movies like Taken and it, it can happen that way. But we see today more of that what we call manipulation or grooming of the victims. And so if you're not familiar with human trafficking, it's the use of force, fraud or coercion to exploit an individual for either sex or labor. And so if either of those two elements are present, we're talking about human trafficking if force, fraud or coercion unless you're under the age of 18. And so what we've seen is we began in 2016 providing uh, services to those that are impacted by human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation. And I never knew the need would be as great as what we're seeing. Even in South Dakota, when we have three of the poorest counties in the United States located here, uh, we're getting calls from all over the United States because of the lack of services that are available to victims of human trafficking. And if those that are impacted by trafficking do not have the support or services, they typically don't leave those situations. And so there's a staggering stat that one to three percent of victims ever leave their circumstances because Um, It's not as easy to run to a law enforcement or an agency that you believe that you can be safe at. Um, Trafficking rings control people in many different ways. They control them by keeping their children. They control them by um, their personal identification, their basic needs. um, And they build a relationship with that victim in order to keep them controlled into those situations. And so getting out of human trafficking for victims is so much harder than people understand. So how how serious, how big of a problem is this, Becky? I mean, is this happening all across America? I, I, obviously, it's a hard thing to to track the numbers on, but what kind of numbers are we talking about here? Yeah, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of the amount of people that are in human trafficking situations. There's so much education that needs to be happening within our first responders to better identify victims. One of the things as you read our book, you begin to identify that People don't self-identify in these situations a lot of times. Sometimes they feel because that person has built a relationship with them that they don't even know they're a victim of human trafficking. And so it's really up to us as as service providers to get better educated on that. Um, You know, we're talking about sex and labor trafficking. I think a lot of circles talk a lot about the sex trafficking piece because that's what we're familiar with. Labor trafficking is one of the most unidentified forms of trafficking 
in the United States. And most people, when a labor trafficking situation comes about, they don't even know how to navigate it because it's so new. Human trafficking was first put into federal statute in early 2000. And so we have a lot of work to do as communities to better identify and to respond to the needs of human trafficking victims. So by labor trafficking, I mean, you're, you're kind of talking just about slavery, huh? people who are being bought and sold um, as as workers, as people to just do various types of work. So a lot of it is that manipulation piece. So an example of that is a foreign national population. Um, as we have open borders and people are coming across our borders, we have a variety of different issues that are happening. So um, an example of labor trafficking is a promise to come to the United States for a better life, to support your family. Um, and when they get here on these temporary visas, it's not what they expected. Uh, a lot of times you're seeing modeling agencies saying, hey, I'm gonna offer you a great opportunity. I'm gonna bring you down to you know model and they get down to those areas and it's not what they have been promised. And so labor trafficking is facilitated through a lot of different ways. So labor trafficking and sex trafficking, of course, a lot of that is coming across the open borders right now, as you pointed out. Um, to what extent is, is the federal and, and maybe even state governments um, dealing with this appropriately or even complicit? I've, I've heard a lot of people suggest that, you know, the Department of uh, Health and Human Services uh, knowingly releasing children to people who, uh, you know, they ought to know better or not really family, uh, that there's a problem there. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about uh, children being uh, grabbed by CPS and then they end up missing. And then, you know, later they turn up in uh, sex slavery somewhere. Um, to what extent is the government involved here? Uh, to what extent is the government combating this appropriately? What should they be doing? Um, you know, I think I'm going to go back to you. you. You tend to go away from what you don't recognize or know. I think that this is, um, I see in a lot of those circles, we're very reactive, we're not proactive. And so until they begin to identify this as a large issue, um, we're finding a lot of systems just in general don't, um, don't understand. And so they're not identifying. And so I think we as a government, we need to have specialized task force. We need to realize that vulnerabilities, there's a lot of intersectionalities between drugs, guns, and human trafficking. These circles know how to make money. This is organized crime. And so if we're not being proactive in cases as far as investigations and um, equipping law enforcement to be able to do that and do that well, um, we're not identifying these cases, nor are we prosecuting them. And so I think from a, a government standpoint, there's a lot going on with drugs. There's a lot going on with uh, cartels. There's a lot going on with guns as well. And so I think we need to understand that those are all cross, those are intersectionalities of these organized fronts are doing all of those together. So asking the right questions to better identify trafficking situations versus just taking a drug charge and saying, I got a possession or uh, you know a distribution charge on this person. Um, and a lot of times, there's forced criminality. So we've had multiple victims, a lot of victims who have been used to force criminality to sell drugs, to do guns, to do the runs for these organized fronts. And we're not identifying them in our system as more as successfully as we can. So I think there's a lot of work that we need to do in all system fronts to be able to combat human trafficking. Huh, that, that's fascinating. So you're talking about like people who've been trafficked who are then being forced to go out and sell drugs and they get picked up by the police they take a, a charge for distribution of drugs not even with, without the system even realizing that these are actually trafficking victims who've been coerced into doing these types of things huh 
Absolutely. I wow. think, and, and they're not going to talk. Um, they're not going to talk because sometimes they have their children, they have things behind the scenes, they're threatening their life. Um, we're seeing money laundering happening where young women um, with children have their opening LLCs and money laundering is happening, um, guns, drugs, distribution. Um, those people who are facilitating these organized fronts from the background are not getting identified and they're using these vulnerable individuals for not only human trafficking, but other other illegal activity in order to make money off of them. So it could be sex, it could be that labor piece, it could be forced criminality. And we, again, I'm gonna go back and that's why we wrote the book and released the book is because people are not understanding how these organized fronts are doing this. And so we need to get smarter and we need to be able to identify how this is happening so that we can help those that are victimized by this. Wow. All right, folks, so we're going to go to break. When we get right back here, we'll have another segment with Becky Rasmussen talking about uh, how victims can be supported, what kind of services uh, they may need, and also how she got involved with this. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. If Americans want to remain a free and sovereign nation, more people need to understand the principles and values that built this great nation. At the John Birch Society, we have the organization, the plan, and the resources to do just that. Our founder, Robert Welch, said, Education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Go to JBS.org to learn more, including how you can get involved to work locally and impact nationally. Join the John Birch Society today. Welcome back to Conversations That Matter. Alex Newman here. Our guest today is Becky Rasmussen. Uh, she is the founder of Call to Freedom uh, and also the CEO, and she is a supporting author on the book, A Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children. Uh, Becky, let, let's talk about kind of the things that you guys do through your ministry. Uh, you support victims who are coming out of this. Um, wh what do these people need? What do they? Wh what do you, how do you guys help them? What do, what do you do for them? Yeah, Call to Freedom was developed, and today we have 26 staff that are doing this work, um, and we've hired that quickly since 2016 and found funding to do that because the needs of a trafficking survivor are so great. Um, there are so many um, ways that they're held into trafficking situations. So Call to Freedom is a really uh, holistic approach to serving trafficking victims with, through trauma-informed comprehensive services. And so we do wraparound. Um, we'll do that emergency piece where somebody calls and there might be an emergency department and they identify and they're in a, a a need an assessment for mental health or addiction because a lot of times traffickers will control their victims with variety of different ways and that's drugs most girls mm -hmm. that we've met were not drug addicts before they met their their perpetrator and so um so we have to do assessments on the mental health piece because of the complex trauma but also that uh, addiction piece is always very common as well with those that we serve we've put that all on staff one of the things that we want to do is really surround that person so that they can really focus on their ability to heal. Um, and you can't, you get overwhelmed by the systems. If I have to look for housing or a job, um, or if I have to deal with my mental health or find funding for that, 
a lot of times that's why victims don't leave is because they're not supported in those processes to successfully leave that controlled environment by their trafficker. And so Calder Freedom does a lot of different services from that emergency point. And then we also have supportive housing where we house mothers with their children, uh, survivors with their children, um, and that houses 12 individuals and their children. And so right now we have 12 survivors. We are full with 10 children living with us. And that is a free service. And that's more of a supportive living once we get through that emergency piece. And then we have one young lady who lives with us who um, was not, did not have her green card. And so she couldn't work. Um, tra traffickers were actually um, perpetrating her because of her vulnerability of not being able to get an apartment because she wasn't didn't have her green card. Um, and so we've supported her for the last two years. She just got a green card and she's working full time now and able to transition in. And then we also have education and prevention. We have navigators on staff that do that prevention and education piece to parents, to schools. Um, and we also have youth. Um, we serve not only adults, male but also youth as well. Um, and we have housing, you know, sometimes our housing isn't the right fit for an individual. Um, and so that housing piece, we make sure that they are continually um, supported throughout their entire process. Bottom line is we don't put a time frame that somebody can work with us. And so if they decide that I don't have family and that's how I've been controlled, um, they can work with us as long as they are following through on some of the things that we ask them to do and they become self-sufficient. Um, we will support them as long as they need that. And, and that is really the key to being successful with survivors is that they know that they are fully supported in all of those aspects so they can successfully find safety, basic needs, and that support so they can be self-sufficient. Fascinating. And now you helped with a, a book. Um, this was written mostly, I guess, by uh, Ruth Atkins, a grandmother and uh, an actual survivor of human trafficking with a cartel. It's called The Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children. Um, so, so let's dig into that in the last few minutes we have left. Um, what do parents need to know about protecting their children from this? I mean, is this a serious risk that parents need to be thinking about? And, and what do they do to make sure their children don't inadvertently end up uh, falling into this kind of thing? Yeah. So one of the things I'd like to talk about is this is a business. So the demand creates the need for the trafficker in business. What does that mean? That the demand who's buying individuals wants a blue eyed, blonde haired girl that does not have addiction is middle class because that's what that buyer wants. That trafficker who the business person is, is going to target whatever he can make a lot of money off of. So there is not one demographic for a victim of human trafficking. It really is how much money the latest we have seen is boys, young boys. We don't talk about boys. There aren't very many services for boys. And so now we've seen this sextortion begin to happen online. And it's it's very rampant right now. And so we have been become very passionate about getting this book into the hands of as many people as possible to educate them. I don't want to create fear for people. What we want to do is allow people to get educated on this so they can find out how do I best protect my children in these situations. And so I would highly recommend getting the book. It was written by uh, a grandmother of our first survivor who walked through the doors of Cult of Freedom. And they didn't even know what trafficking was, but she was part of a federal case. And they found Calder Freedom. We began navigating with that. 
young lady, um, but also their family, um, because trauma happens to the entire unit. It's just not the individual, it is also the family. And it was also written by uh, Mary, who is a survivor of cartel trafficking, and bringing these perspectives together to give you a holistic look at how does this work and why is my child getting drawn to some stranger by love bombing or by gaslighting and these techniques that traffickers use to understand a how do they recruit um, and groom your individuals but then how do you protect um, from online perpetration or from within schools or within peer groups. The traffickers aren't just one trafficker. They work as a group. They will find what your vulnerability is and they will make sure to exploit that vulnerability or meet that vulnerability with an individual. So that could be a grandmother. Um, that could be a boyfriend. That could be a father figure that this person didn't have. Whatever that is, they will play this game to target your child and to draw them close to them so that they eventually leave and, and get pulled into trafficking situations. So there are a lot of education pieces to this. Get the book. You can go to calldefreedom.org to get the book. And then we also do have under events other uh, opportunities that you can get online training on social media. What does human trafficking look like? And if you are a parent navigating a human tra potential human trafficking situation, our third session of the Parent Connections is with the survivors and how best to do that. And so they walk alongside these parents to make sure that we intervene successfully. Wow. So, so some of these traffickers are grooming the kids online through social media. Some of them are grooming them at school. And uh, and trying to get them to what leave their parents and and go with the traffickers, huh? Yeah. So it isn't like they kidnap you, and they can do it that way. Mm -hmm. But they gotten a lot smarter. <laughs> they actually draw that person to them. They become the answer of that vulnerability within their life. And then once they draw them to themselves, it's easier to keep a person who seemed willing. And then they convince them that you made the choice to come to me. You're choosing this. Now you owe me. Those are all tactics that traffickers use. And so I just highly just encourage parents to not live in fear of this, but to get educated on how this operates so that you're well-informed and the best to protect your children. Yeah. Yeah. So important in today's uh, strange world. Uh, Becky, before we let you go, how'd you get involved in all this? So why did you, of all the things you could have been doing, why did you decide to start this organization and, and serve these victims? Um, I had an encounter. Um, I always knew in my heart I was supposed to serve people. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, I just waited on the Lord to kind of unfold that in my life. And I had an encounter with a young girl named Marissa in August of 2015 at Sturgis Rally, which is in South Dakota. And it's the largest bike rally in the United States, maybe one of the one of the few, um, anywhere from 400 to 500,000 people come to that bike rally over a course of 10 days. And we were doing outreach. I'd just gotten involved with a, a local organization and um, I just identified this girl and I felt very drawn to her. I felt like I was supposed to go talk to her. And so I did. Um, it was about a 10 minute conversation and I knew this girl was very scared. She wouldn't disclose what was going on. And her last words to me were, you have no idea what kind of day I've had. You have no idea. And she was gone um, through research and an organization that was doing um, recovery of children at the Sturgis rally. She was in a book of 117 girls that were missing on the missing list. 
And um, I don't have time to go to all the details, but long story short, I began to say, how does a girl potentially be in trafficking situations or go missing? And they began to tell me that there were only 298 beds in the United States for victims of human trafficking and that they were getting re-recruited because services weren't there to support that those individuals out of the life of human trafficking or commercial exploitation. And so um, I felt God prompt me to be a part of the solution, be the answer to a problem that needed um, to needed to be addressed. And so I filed for a 501c3 um, in November of 2015. In um, January of 2016, we got accepted. We opened our first office in March and survivors started coming forward. They found us. They had been looking for somebody to provide services or help to them. And today, our number one referral source are other survivors. They're very smart. If you cannot meet basic needs or safety, survivors will opt not to leave those situations because it's worse for them or their loved ones um, in the long run if we don't do it well. And they're very smart in that regard. And so um, that's how Call to Freedom was started. And today, um, we're about a $3 million agency and 20, um, 26 staff. We just hired another one and we have three openings. So we'll be at 30 by the end of the year. And we have a new home that supports survivors and that was paid in full by the community. And so God has always been a part of this organization. It is his organization and he will lead it. Um, and we have a very great group of um, employees who are very passionate about this in making sure that everybody has an opportunity for hope. That's wonderful. Uh, Becky, I want to thank you so much for, for doing all that you're doing. Thank you for joining us today and sharing a little bit with uh, with our audience. We appreciate it very much. And hopefully we'll get you back with some more updates at some point. Uh, thanks again. Thank you, Alex, for having us. All righty, folks. That was Becky Rasmussen, calltofreedom.org. You can find them online. It's uh, calltofreedom.org. And also the book is A Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'm Alex Newman. This is Conversations That Matter for the New American Magazine. Until next time, God bless you all.